What's up, everybody? Hugely excited about this episode. I sat down with strategy expert Dwayne Gibson White, who's held various roles across Deloitte, Tesco, and BT. He shares some of his secrets on how to make it in the world of strategy and management consultancy. Dwayne is massively passionate about supporting young, diverse students and grads in progressing in the corporate world and ultimately teaches us how to use that diverse background to our advantage. Dwayne was so incredible on this one. We have to split it up into two episodes. For even more Diverse Hires content, head over to diversehires.co.uk. Enjoy. Hey, T, how's it going? Dwayne, what's up? How you doing? No, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm sorry about that. I was just overrunning on another call. Um, but yeah, no yeah, yeah, ready to chop it up, man. No problem. Thanks again for uh, spending some time on your Sunday. I really appreciate it. Uh, dude, it's fine. Like, what what are we gonna do in a lockdown world on a Sunday? That is That's uh, a good point. <laughs> that is better than trying to, you know, do something for the next generation. That's how one of my friends tried to get me to see it. So exactly, yeah, putting everyone on. All right, nice. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's not going to be everyone. Like those that listen will, will hear. That's true. That's right? true. Uh, those that don't, <laughs> I That's I claim true. no responsibility for them. But I've got a theory though. Like the mm. one of the sneaky good things about this type of content is that it will. This is going to be relevant this year, next year. You know, strategy as a as a career direction. You know, it's mm-hmm. not going away, is it? So I quite like that to be honest. It makes me think like. We're going to get plenty of listeners now, but in five years' time, you know, when I'm like the new Tim Ferriss, you know, amen, amen, it's amen. going to be millions of people listening. So, you know. Mm, 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 mm. You know what? No, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. There are, with every field, there's always going to be nuances. Um, and there'll be components to entering a field, succeeding in a field. Uh, like, how do you navigate? Some of those things may change at the fringe. But I think the core of what it is to get into a field yeah. probably stays the same. Right? Uh, so, for instance, if you take banking, right? if you take investment banking as a career trajectory, because that was the hot thing when like, when I was coming out of uni um, eight years ago, um, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people from like our background, sort of like Black British, especially in universities, like the universities that... So I went to a Russell Group University and it was like the main thing you were told was banking is lucrative, law is lucrative. And when you got into the upper echelons, that's when they started breaking it down into a number of other fields underneath sort of professional services. Yeah. But within within my sphere, it was very much, okay, fine, everyone wanted to get into banking. Now, the pivot in that industry was sort of like, if I think 307, 08, was very much around business knowledge very much around having like an economics degree a business degree and your degree needed to come from a top tier university so a lot of us in our position thinking okay Russell Group University like top 20 at the time that we were talking about it and I was like okay cool like getting into banking should be that's a logical next step the thing that had switched in the industry that we weren't yet privy to was the banks especially for IBD trading sales had started looking more at like quant heavy degrees. And when I say quant heavy, I mean sort of like the maths degrees, physics degrees, computer science, because when you're moving more towards a algorithmic trading type of strategy, 
you need people that understand the algorithms and people that have business knowledge, economic knowledge, and the generation of algorithms, you understand the why behind that. But they already had a lot of those people. So not being privy to that nuance meant that actually you, unless you know that going into uni, it's very yeah. hard to pivot at the end of your degree. So it's like, there will be things in our conversation that I believe will be helpful, but it's always going to be on, like the onus is always going to be on the individual trying to get into whatever field it is, banking, law, I don't know, like chemical engineering, whatever it is industry wants from a new entry and display as much of that as possible. Love it. You started spitting some knowledge already, so I'm going to leave this little <laughs> pre-intro in. <laughs> you're, um, you're let, let's, kick, let's, let's, let's leave this pre-intro in and then uh, let's kick it off from here. So, so Dwayne, before, for anyone who doesn't know, do you want to give uh, mm. a quick background as to <laughs> who you are, uh, where you come from and what you're doing? Uh, for anyone that doesn't know my expectation is that most people listening to this should not know who I am um, and that's humble. no 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 not humble it's just the, <laughs> the beauty of the beauty of like the corporate world is if you're killing it in the corporate world people shouldn't know your name until you're in a position whereby things that you're doing kind of translate to like monumental shifts. The reason I say that is because if people know your name in the corporate world before the time is right, more often than not, they know your name for a bad thing. Uh, so by that, <laughs> by, that, by that logic, my expectation is that most people shouldn't know my name until the time is right. Um, but yeah, so, so I'm, I'm Dwayne, Dwayne Gibson White. Uh, so my background is interesting. So what do I do? What do I do right now? So I'm a senior strategy manager for BT. Um, and so my role puts me in what BT's top 600 individuals and it's a company of over 100,000. So it's like you're in the top 0.06% of the organization, which is like as a strategy professional, exactly where you want to be because that's how you impact decision-making the most uh, in a position whereby my interactions with the C-suite of the business, so those that are tasked by the board to manage the business is on a very frequent basis. And it's on, on the topics that are most pertinent for an organization like ours. So it's very much around, okay, fine. Like big business, been around for a long time. We need to do two things. We need to grow and we need to make sure that we're driving like more profitable outcomes, i.e. we're making more money than we spend on costs. And that's the focus of my job, uh, especially the latter part. Like, how do we drive more profit through the business? Um, and how did I how did I get here? Because I think that's helpful for the background piece as well. So, like, I'm Nigerian born. I, I born in Nigeria. I came over to the UK when I was like two. Uh, like my mum was born in the UK, schooled in the UK, went back to Nigeria, and that's where she met my old man. And then they've had me and my sister. And then at that point, my mum was like, okay, cool. It makes sense for us to go to the UK because the opportunities there are better, et cetera, et cetera. And that then led to like, a childhood seeing my mum work super, super hard to, to then drive two things. One, like traditional education uh, and entryways into that from like, my sister and I. So it then meant that, like, off of the back of her hard work, I ended up going to a grammar school in Kingston called Tiffins. And that 
more so than any part of my adolescence gave me a good view into what the other side of life looks like because if I think about like my primary schooling and like schooling when I was like really young everyone in my school looked like me by and large and even the kids that weren't black sounded like me because if you go to school in like a inner city London or kind of just like a I don't want to call it where it is but if you go to a school in one of those type of areas everyone kind of is the same um and your parents are the same so if you were to ask me at 10 what do I want to be I want to be a footballer I want to be a rapper I want to be an actor because those were the only exit strategies that presented themselves at that age if you didn't ask me what I wanted to be at 15 17 like going into uni I want to be a banker I don't want to be a lawyer because I know what that entails. I want to be, I want to run a business. Like I want to be the head of a business because you can see your peer set have access to that. And one of the things, cause this is the second side, right? Like I said, my mom was key on like traditional education. The second thing was like a worldly education, like a, a worldview that meant that my sister and I like very much have a belief. You can do what you want. You can be what you want as long as you outwork everyone else. So, so in those two things, that then led, okay, fine. I now have a view on what I want to be on paper and how do I access that? Uh, I now have a number of university choices in front of me and I ended up going to Queen Mary's University studying economics, finance and management for my undergrad and then went and did my master's straight away in corporate finance. I deferred a graduate opportunity that I'd got through the summer at the end of my undergrad yeah. to allow me to do my master's straight away because my belief was at that stage one of the things that was kind of clear to me is like having a first isn't enough um especially because like going into uni I had like the choice of going to another London-based university that was more prestigious than the one that I chose and I chose the one that I chose for a number of like social reasons, like friends were going there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But in actually trying to access my career, like, I needed to just remember how much of a hurdle I'd created for myself. And then therefore, how do I differentiate myself over that hurdle? Right? And that's kind of the aim of the game at the very beginning. Like, how do you get enough? How do you put enough points on the board that mean that people kind of recognize, okay, when I look at your CV, when I look at your sheet, because a lot of the time, you're kind of, I'm, I, I used to then think about it in terms of like sports analogies. When I look at your sheet, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, cool. Like, what's on your sheet versus someone else's? And how do I, as an institution, rate that? So if I see someone wanting to come into the Premier League and he told me that, yeah, cool, I used to score 100 points a game in the NBA, that's irrelevant, bro. Like, I don't care because that's not what we do over here. So if someone tells me, okay, cool, like, I've gone to this university, I've studied this degree. Like, point in case, I want to get into banking. I've gone to a university over here that the banks don't really know. And I've studied a degree over here that the banks don't really care about. They will not respect your first. Right? Like, your first doesn't mean anything to them because your aptitude for learning is in an area that they don't care to train you in. Now, for me, again, to the point of differentiation, it was, okay, fine. Do your master's before you get into the world of work because the likelihood of you coming back to do it afterwards is lower when you start earning at that rate. And then finished my master's, went and 
join the strategy and operations part of Deloitte Consulting. Uh, and through that, that then allowed me to then say, okay, fine, what does a day in the life of a management consultant look like? Did that for three to four years and then left, left Deloitte, left consulting, went in-house to Tesco, to the online part of Tesco. So, and it's really interesting with COVID because the business, like the online part of the business is booming. And a lot of the things that have kind of underpinned the way they look at accessing and I guess capitalizing on that growth comes from like strategy materials that my old boss and I sat down and wrote years ago. And then, and then subsequently left there in 2000 and 2019. So last year, actually feels way longer than it has been. Yeah. It feels way longer than it has been, but it's the left there at the start of last year to come to BT to, to the position that I'm in now. So quick rundown of my background right there. Amazing, Dwayne. Yeah, there was a, there's a lot to unpack there, but I just wanted to pick up on one or two things that you said and how that might perhaps impact, you know, what you're doing now and your, your mindset. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the work ethic that you saw, because I think you, you come from a very similar background to probably the vast majority mm-hmm. of the audience. That's, you know, a big reason why I wanted to have you on this course. Um, what, could you just unpack that a little bit more for, for us? So you obviously saw your mom working really hard and, you know, gave you that sort of... Um, that sort of confidence to believe you could do what you want as long as you work hard enough. Mm. Um, I want to understand that and how that sort of helped you in your transition because a lot of people feel a bit of the imposter syndrome from going from, from that position up, up to university and then into their graduate role. So I want to understand that a little bit more. Um, and then also, that what advantage does that give you? <laughs> you know, Once you now get into BT and you're in the corporate world or even Tesco before that, you're now someone that in some way speaks some different languages and you, you've had sort of, you now are communicating with a completely different uh, mm-hmm. group. So how, how does that bring you? Uh, yeah, so I think, I think those are two very, well, two very pertinent questions, but they're also, especially because of the period of time that we're in. And the reason I say they're pertinent is because there's, a, there's an increased focus, like as you know, based on the avenue that you're now pursuing in the business that you're creating that's going to be super, super successful. But there's an increased focus on like black talent and what that means for the workforce and what that means for like organizations' abilities to deliver. Um, and a lot of that is because of the, the challenges that we have faced and then therefore the advantages it will present to an organization and having someone who has been through that and is now on the other side and prepared to use that effectively to not only try and progress their career, but in so doing, drive additional value for the organization. Uh, All of this is kind of, in some instances, well-recognized. In other instances, it's kind of, okay, fine. Uh, Intuition leads me to believe it's good to bring in diverse talent because diversity leads to like better outcomes. Most people haven't then tried to unpack, okay, fine, like what are the different different components from different diversity categories that actually do drive those better outcomes. And one of the things for black people, especially black British people, is you take the first part of your question. You've been through a period of time where you've seen hard work live and in color. 
I, like, so living in the house with, like, the majority of the time, it was me, my mum, my sister, right? So uh, it was a very tight-knit unit. And my experience growing up was, okay, fine, my mum, she's a black woman. She's a black British woman who is well-educated and, like, even in the earlier days, is accredited to X level. It still requires grinding, Right, you've got to graft day in, day out. Okay, fine. And then that's not enough. Okay, you need to upskill yourself, so you need to go away and do another master's. Cool, that's not enough. You need to go and do this professional qualification. But the <clears throat> the thing that was very clear to me, which I feel like sometimes has been lost on others, is like my mum will take the the learned principles and it's okay fine like I need to get a particular badge on my CV so I'll go and do this particular course or I will do this master's or I'll do xxx but she'll also go out and get a really big role right off the back of it right get a big title because for better or worse one of the things that I learned is that like human nature is to is to establish and then try to rise up via hierarchies so we we as a Okay. Like we as a species, we will generate a hierarchy. Right? We will we will kind of say, okay, fine, this is the pecking order. And before this, like when you take it way, way back, like the pecking order was who's the biggest, who's the strongest, who's the fastest. Okay, cool, I'll rate you the most. Who can gather the most, who can kind of like present the most in terms of like food and sustenance. Okay, I'll rate you the most. Mm-hmm. And then you just go down the pecking order. Now, now in the corporate world, the way that you get rated the most is depending on your field. And again, like it's very field specific because if you were to ask me, how do you get the highest accreditations or how do you get the highest ratings? And one of the things that I'm going to say straight away is that I apologize for the way that I speak. This is not corporate me. I think it's a lot easier. And this is probably something that's worth touching on because part of that point you mentioned about imposter syndrome is one of the things that like a lot of people struggle with. When I step out of the office, I have no reason to talk like I'm talking to the CFO BT. Like there's zero value in me doing that because that's not actually how I speak on a regular basis. When I speak to him, I definitely don't sound like this because there's value in presenting him <laughs> with what he will understand. And communication is always for the party you're communicating with. But put that to one side. Like, for me, I saw, okay, fine. How do you rise through the hierarchy? Right? Like, working hard is not enough. And one of the things that my mum presented, presented me with as sort of like a challenge was when I think back to schooling, like, and one of the things that I hate is when people say back in my day, but I now found myself in a position whereby a lot of the time I'm going to end up saying back in my day. But there was there were SATs, right? Like there were exams that you took in year three, year five. Like they were testing us all the time, all the time, all the time. And I would come out with the highest levels in every instance, up until the point that it got to, I think it was SATs in year eight. I think I took my SATs in year eight. And it was like, okay, cool. What are the highest levels you can get? I've got the highest levels then. And all the time I'd come home and I'd be like, yeah, boom. Like, for ease of translation, it's like getting straight A stars. It's like A star everywhere. I come home and I tell my mom, boom, this is my result. She's like, that's amazing. Well done. What was the top mark? I was like, no, no, no. I didn't get the top mark, but it's like, I got the top grade. No, 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 no. So who did better than you? And it's like, (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah well yeah. someone so did better than me here but then I did better than them there okay but in every subject who was the top person okay this person was top here this person was top there 
okay, how many marks were they like? How many marks did they get more than you? And they'd be like, oh, three marks here, four marks there. She's like, okay, are they smarter than you? No. <laughs> I, I remember myself. I used to be so indignant. <laughs> I was like, no. It's like, okay, fine. Are they better than you? What? No. All right, fine. So why, <laughs> why aren't you getting 100%? And that, for me, is a lesson that I will never, ever, ever forget. Because from our background, from our demographic, irrespective of like socioeconomic factors, irrespective of like the broader view that we should have equality, there are certain things that for me were just made very apparent by that lesson. The world is not fair, right? Like there is no such thing, and the corporate world is exactly the same. There is no such thing as like a level playing field. There is just the playing field that you're able to generate for yourself. And that in that instance, the playing field I was able to generate for myself was being seen as like, you're really, really good. But if we had to choose one person in this area, it wouldn't be you. And that for me is not to say, okay, fine. Like you need to, because one of the things I come on to is that you don't need to be a hundred percent in every area, yeah. but you need to pick the area that is most pertinent to what you want to do. Right? And you need to make sure that in that area, if they were to look out, and say, I need to pick one person for this thing, you know what that one thing is, and you are able to justify why you should be that one person. Right? That's, that's why I believe I am where I am, at the age that I am, and why I should be able to unlock way more going forward. And then the second question you asked was around, okay, fine. Because uh, that was the work ethic piece. And then the second question was, like, how do you translate? Yeah. And also, Duane, as, as you mentioned, there's the, the, the understanding yeah. the strengths there. I'm really dialing up your strengths because I think a lot of people, they they think a bit more about, you know, controlling their weaknesses yeah. or improving their weaknesses and becoming well-rounded. But really what's, what makes a difference, what I find as well, is is dialing mm. up your, your strengths, mm. really. Make your strength a 10 out of 10 rather than worrying about having... I completely you know, agree. And, like, it's one of the things that, like, so in the UK, like, the UK schooling system teaches you to go broad and then narrow your focus. Uh, that's that's exactly how people should see like progressing in their career. Like if you want to go into a career that is strategy, right, and or professional services and or like something that looks similar to something that I understand, there are again, there are gonna be careers, there are gonna be career trajectories where this is not applicable. You need to decide based on the people that you know and the people that you speak to about your desired career trajectory, whether or not this is applicable to that sphere. But if I take strategy. One of the things that you learn in school is in year, in year three, you're not doing the same things as you're doing in year seven. In year seven, you're not doing the same things as you're doing in year 11. Like you're narrowing your focus. I was doing Latin in year seven. There's no way I was taking that for GCSEs. Impossible. Someone in year seven told me that this is a dead language. And by someone, I mean the teacher. The teacher told me the, <laughs> la- the language is not spoken anywhere. Yeah. I was like, oh, why am I learning this? Okay, cool. I'll do enough to get by, right? I will do enough to get by and I'll do enough to look good in the eyes of the school. As soon as the opportunity comes for me to step away from this, I'm gone. So there is mm-hmm. no value, no value in getting my Latin score up to hundred. All right. All right. Because that is not the area where I want someone to say, if there is one person we are picking, we'll pick you. The, the language is dead, bro. Why, why do I need to be the one? That's not for me. But thank you. So I, well, we didn't have the option. 
I, like, so I would have, we had French oh, and German, okay. French and German, French and German. I was like, okay, cool. Well, these languages are spoken now. There is a useful application for these today outside of just written text. So I can, I can, I can very easily see why I want to be the one person in the office where they're like, we've got a project in Germany. Is there anyone that's a German speaker? Oh, I can now raise my hand. Um, well, I could then, I can't do that now. So there is a lot of value in understanding your strengths, like understanding the areas in which you spike. And this is something that I tell my team all the time, like identify your spikes, like hone them, your weaknesses. I'm not saying just let them be. They just need to be at a base level. They just need to be at a point where people will look at them and say, oh, that's not a crazy blind spot. Oh, that's not like a material issue. That's not going to present as a liability down the line. Like, so if one of your strengths, like, so one of my strengths is sort of like logical thinking, problem solving, and like doing things in, I guess, sort of like mathematical, mechanical ways. Now, that's not to say, because the flip side is that there is a, there's an empathetic way to do things and you kind of, kind of drive things, especially in the corporate world through feelings and stuff. That's not really how I operate. Right. Like, and that's, that is one of my weaker areas. Now I've made sure that that is at a base level such that people don't think I'm a robot over and above that. I don't need to do any more. Like I don't need to do any more. And this comes back to the question you asked around. Okay, fine. How does like coming up in that type of environment then present as an advantage? It presents as an advantage because for those that I know that have come up in those environments and seen then the, in some instances of uh, a relatively young age, that the flip side, uh, those people aren't smarter than you or better than you or like people that are successful and or come from successful backgrounds aren't by and large like geniuses. They're just people that have applied themselves at particular points and been prepared for the opportunity to come and then they really pressed into that opportunity. Now, when I think about those characteristics those characteristics present for anyone that's grown up in a sort of disadvantaged background and been able to break out of it because you found your opportunity if you're out you prepared yourself way before that out came whether your out is like a lot of the times coming up like we would see that the out is music or sport and a lot of people were then going down the musical sport route but then there was a cohort where it was like actually we could probably get out in another way and now you find that there's probably a rising tide of like young black professionals who are now coming to the fore where a lot of time was just spent, okay, fine, how do I prepare myself for the out to come through business? So the advantages that it presents coming from that background is there's a hunger that you will have that like a lot of your counterparts who haven't come up that way won't necessarily have. And there's something that almost innately you feel like you have to prove. Um, that's useful. Like if you, if you gear it in the right way, if you gear it in the right direction, don't let it become a chip on your shoulder is the thing that I would warn against. And I warn against that from a perspective of I've been the person who had that as a chip on my shoulder. It's like, I'm actually better than you. Why am I not getting rated higher? Uh, separately, it presents an advantage in the sense that you can now, one of the things that is like very important for a strategist is to always remember, okay, fine, what's the end customer or the end consumer in relation to the business problem that I'm trying to solve? And in a lot of instances, if you're, if you're someone who's come from like a highly privileged background and then been in very elitist environments, 
it's very hard for you to relate to the general public. Uh, one of the things that I found at Tesco that was so interesting is there were so there's so many people at the top of businesses that in a lot of instances, outside of forced interaction with the grassroots of like their business operations, just haven't grown up with that. Whereas I had to do a Tesco shop with my mom every week, right? So you now then see all of the pain points in the business. Yeah. So when I'm talking to what was my old boss, who's now my mentor and he's just an amazing guy, is I can talk with credibility around one of the things they'll ask you is like, okay, cool, how do you think like, we could go about improving our business? Well, I've, I've had to interact with your business like a customer because I've been a customer for I don't know how long. Right? Like, these are the things that I will talk to. And structure is very important in strategy. So you present something like that in a structured, coherent fashion, you are instantly differentiating yourself over the hurdle of, I don't come from a background that sounds like yours. My background is very different to yours, but this is how my background is helpful to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So for any employers <laughs> listening, that's a great sort of um, showcase for why you need to have diverse teams and, and teams that represent the customer base that you're, you're uh, going after. Otherwise, you know, you'll struggle to create products, market to, to your, you know, your customer base as a whole. Um, let, let's drill down then mm-hmm. as well into strategy then. So what, what you do on a day-to-day basis. Actually, before we even get into that, for anyone who maybe doesn't know that they might be recently graduating or graduating next year and trying to decide mm-hmm. what field they're going to go into, um, how, would you define, how would you define strategy in this uh, instance? And, and then what does your role sort of yeah. look like on the day-to-day basis? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Work, so work really good time. questions, really good questions, because before before I, I discovered, and I say discovered because, again, right, like the top strategy consultancies and the stop, like, sort of like the top entry routes into strategy are more often than not presented to like a select few university cohorts. Uh, and... That's just that's just because they've got so few they've got so few spaces to fill and they have like very prescribed selection criteria. I think that's expanding over time. I do think that like they will explore broader pools because again to the point of diverse thinking, you don't really want to create an echo chamber where everyone says the same thing. That being said, if you are looking for diversity and you want to find someone from a less privileged socioeconomic background, you still want there to be a same like you still want there to be the same base level of like I guess mental attitude so even if you want to go diverse it doesn't mean that you stop going to Oxbridge LSC Warwick it might just be okay fine like we went to these places and we spoke to people that looked like us now we'll go to these places and try and find people that don't look like us but within these institutions still um but anyway like so the, the first thing I would say is like anyone who wants to get into strategy you need to keep your eye on the point I was making before, there's a hierarchy to like strategy entry routes. And depending on where you are in the university hierarchy will then translate to an increased or a reduced likelihood for you to get into the top end of the, of the strategy sphere. So if I, if I take, how did I get into strategy and then I pivot that into, okay, what does the role look like? So like strategy at its core is helping business and or businesses solve longer term problems 
that translate into either, <clears throat> well, it's, it's a number of different things, but it's ultimately you either want to improve your current standing within your, your, your existing market and or your existing sphere of influence, or you want to get into a new sphere of influence, like go into a new product, go into a new market, or you're dealing with an existential threat that kind of might disrupt your ability to play in any one of these spaces and you need to just think through that. Now, the reason I say business and or business is because strategy can either be, you can outsource your strategy, you can have consultancies support you on this. And that's when you'll hear about sort of like the McKinsey's, the Baines, the BCG's. You'll hear about, right? and that's kind of the top tier, right? Like that's band one. Then you've got boutique strategy consultancies, like the, the wrong down where you have, firms that specialize in particular areas, particular market segments, but it's still solving the same type of problems. And you'll then have sort of other type of firms that help solve these problems, but in a different way. And it's all about how do you get a business from point A to point B? So we've identified point A, we've identified point B, and then we chart a route from A to B. And for a lot of people listening, it will sound like, oh, well, you're just making a plan. In a lot of instances, strategy derivation is a plan right and the question a lot of people ask is oh why don't businesses just do that for themselves if you think about how much goes into driving like take bt right anywhere between 17 to 20 billion pounds in sales in a given year when was the last time you made 20 billion of anything right that's a lot of time right a lot of energy goes into generating that kind of output Mm -hmm. and as a result you're going to find that you're going to be stretched in particular areas and it doesn't always, especially historically, doesn't always pay to specialise in everything. So it's useful to be able to outsource some of this thinking. But businesses have also brought some of that capability in-house, right? That's why a role like mine would exist because solving those problems from the inside is also really useful. But the first thing you want to consider is, okay, fine, how do I get into strategy? And then the next thing is, what does the role look like? So what does the role look like? On a day-to-day basis, it changes as your career progresses, as you would hope. That's it for part one. Head over to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for part two.